1: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Ponds, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: And then it says, my soul knows it very well, which is like your emotions. It's not like you have a head knowledge of all of this. It's like... I know this. My soul knows this. This is, this, is, this is who I am. And I will celebrate this, not because I'm good, but because God is good. God says that I'm wonderful. Therefore, based on his word, I'm saying what he's saying. Then he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Some people like to say that's a poetic way that some of the hebrews like to refer to conception in the womb some like to say even in times of distress it doesn't really matter It's god has used others to make you you the way you are and how special that is that's where i get the phrase that you're in the mind of god before you're ever in your mother's womb but even gets more interesting after that he says your eyes have seen my unformed substance what a huge phrase if I was unformed, that means he saw me like a, an architect would see it in his mind. Then he sees the unformed building on his architectural schematic. Then he knows that from that, the builders are going to come in and erect this thing. And every building is, is, it has some form of a purpose. So it's an unformed substance. And then it says, I love this part, and in your book. In other words, God has a journal of my life. It's like I, I, I have a biography of my life. But God wrote it. It says, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. In other words, nothing happened as an uh uh-oh with God. Everything is what God planned, either by purpose or by permission, but it's ordained of him. Then it says, when as yet there was not one of them. That means God knows what you're going to experience this afternoon at your house. God knew when this gal got a phone call that her house was cut in half. God already knew that before the storm was ever... um, came into fruition. God knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. And he's not wringing his hands. And all of it is to have ultimate purpose. Probably the verse that gives me the greatest comfort and yet is the most difficult for me to understand in its reality is the verse when Job says this. By the way, for you new folks. Maybe don't know that job is is a book in the Bible about a man in the Bible who was extremely wealthy, he had a wonderful family, he was a godly man, he even did special sacrifices to to honor the Lord on behalf of his kids and all of that. And storms and enemies and all of that wiped out everything that he owned, his family, everything except his wife who said to him, curse God down, die, you know, get out of here, that kind of thing. And yet when all of that happened in all of his frailty and his health then crashes, horribly crashes, we had to scrape all the junk off his body with, 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 a, with a, like a, a, potter, a, a piece of pottery to get all the dead skin and pus off of him. And yet he could look up to God, at times questioning as we all would, But his core value was simply this. Here it is. Though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. Now that's where I want to go, moment by moment. That's the kind of trust that says no matter what is still facing me, including death, I will still trust you. Now, folks, I want to be real frank with you, real transparent with you. I wish every day I felt like that. I can promise you this every single moment of every day of my life that I'm awake, I do want to have that kind of attitude. But I don't always have that. And I know that's where I need to go and that's the journey that I'm headed on. But I can tell you the truths of Psalm 139 alone get me farther down the road on being that way and thinking that way than any other truth. That there is a future. He does know about it and it is good for you. Even though that book hasn't been completely written yet. Some of you that know me a little bit better than others know that uh, they ask me, do you have a hobby? I don't really have time much for a hobby, but if you want to know what I do to kind of kick back, I like to read. And what I like to read for me uh, when I'm just wanting to be inspired is biographies of uh, great men and women who are Christian, generally missionaries, but I don't often read, very rarely do I ever read biographies or autobiographies of Christians who are doing phenomenal things but are still alive. And the reason is the last chapter hasn't been written in their book. All right? But I like to read those that have finished well. But even though when they finished well, God already knew that they would, they didn't. You don't know what the end of your life is. So if you were at the very bottom and you're listening to me right now and all hell broke loose in your life, that's not the last chapter. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. However you are right now still doesn't totally define you. You're still in the definition mode with God. So some of the junk you've done in the past, grieve it, leave it, get back in the Word, and go on for Him. There is wonderful hope for you. Let me explain something, because some of you are really pushing back in your mind, perhaps, and you're saying, how can you say God is good when He does blah, blah, blah? And uh, I don't know. It is hard to see good out of that. I I do get that, and I do know that. But watch carefully. There is a difference between being hurt and being harmed. God will hurt me and permit hurt to come into my life. But that doesn't mean he's going to harm me. So let's use an illustration. All right. Let's say that um, you had an appendix that's all pussy and painful and it's about ready to burst. And if you don't have that appendix removed, you're going to die. And you're telling me, oh, Pastor, I'm so sick. I said, oh, no, no, no problem. I'll take it out for you. I'll do it for free. In fact, I'll do it right now. You want in my office, your house? What do you want? I'll, I'll do it for you, okay? And frankly, I can take out his appendix. I have a nice, a really nice letter opener in my office, and I kind of know where it is. And I'll get in there and I'll take that sucker right out. Hopefully, I hope I don't grab your liver or something else. But I think I know what that is in there. Now I'm being really ludicrous, but get with me for a moment. However, I do it, I am hurting you, but I'm also harming you. Because harming means hindering you from reaching your full potential. Whatever I'm doing, I'm hindering whatever good that could come out of that. That's harm. All right, now when I talk about hurting, let's take this back now. You all have an appendix that burst. It needs to be taken out. And in our audience right here, we have a very fine godly surgeon. Knows what he's doing. Has taken out thousands of appendix before. Has all of his right team with him and he takes you into a very uh, safe and uh, sterile room, and he knows what the appendix is and how to take it out. Let me tell you, I'm going to take this to the bank. That surgery is still going to hurt. Maybe not right then because they masked it with some anesthesia, but next day, it'll be like a train hit you. You'll hurt. But the difference between that doctor and me, and don't laugh, this is Dr. Pons, but it's a different kind of doctor. I hurt you and I harmed you. That doctor hurt you, but he didn't harm you. Right now, you may be experiencing tremendous hurt in your life. I know that. And I've, I wish I could take it away. But sometimes if we don't hurt you, keeping that appendix in your life is going to destroy you. So you have to go beyond the hurt and let it hurt. Because later on, you're going to be really flying high for God. So don't fight the surgeon, yield to him, lay back, let him have his way, and let him bring into your life what he wants, let him take out of your life what he wants, which could be hearing, sight, arm, leg, whatever, people, a job, let him take out, bring in, the pain is there, wish you didn't have to have it, but that's part of living today, but remember he is good to you, always good to you. He cares for you. You are special to him. Hold your place right here. Stay in Psalms, because some of you might say, yeah, he's good to others, but he's not good to me. Turn to Psalm 145. Just flip over there, 145. Just a couple verses, a couple chapters, rather, over to the right, a couple Psalms to the right. You're going to look at Psalm 145. You're going to want to mark this now. This is so cool. This is like it's a saturated With so many truths, this this morning, for those of you that are listening on radio, we had this morning breakfast, and these young people were making the breakfast. It was great. They had the regular pancakes, and they had pancakes with M&Ms in it. Then they had pancakes with chocolate chips in those. To me, it was like having dessert for breakfast, you know? And then they had, for us older people, they had blueberries in the pancakes, okay? And I'm looking at all that kind of stuff. They just loaded it all up. This verse is loaded up with the sweetness of the greatness of God in just two verses. Look at it here, Psalm 145, you're going to look at verse 8. The Lord is, let's not go any further. It doesn't say the Lord was or the Lord will be. The Lord is, is then, is now, is always. The Lord is gracious, put a number one by that. And merciful, put a number two by that. Slow to anger, put a number three. You could put the word patient there or long-suffering. Slow to anger. And great in loving kindness, put a number four by that. So he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, great in loving kindness. Now verse 9, here's where it comes in for the kill. The Lord is good to whom? All. Now scratch the word all out there for today only and write your name there. Then it goes a little bit further. And his mercies are over all his works. Now when I read that, what do you mean his mercies are all of his works? Listen very carefully. I keep bringing up this one who had the house, you know, the tree cut the house in half because it's probably the most dramatic one that I've ever heard of so close and I know this person and they're right here like I said. But here's what I think. His mercies are over his works which means by destroying that house and knowing that God is merciful, the first thing is she wasn't in the kitchen when the tree fell. That's one mercy. The second mercy is that she's going to have another place to stay. The third mercy is where she's going to stay. God's going to do a greater work there than when she would if she was at her house. And now just let your mind go. All the ways God is going to show mercy over his work. So how do you bring it down to you? No matter what stuff you've got, no matter how bad it was, God's mercy still held back even more that could have been in your life because he was merciful. Because what is mercy? Not getting what you do deserve. Okay. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So I just want you to know so much that God is merciful. Let's go back. That's number four. These others are going to go a little bit more quickly because you're already getting the message. I don't have to park a lot on these. So number five is God loves me unconditionally all the time. Here it says, God loves me unconditionally all the time. He says, how precious are your thoughts to me? You could uh, do a word study on the word precious. You know, they have these little What do you call them? Little statues uh, called precious moments. You know, they're so cute. They're precious, you know. So how precious also are whose thoughts? Now, this gets really deep. He's saying, how precious, Lord, are your thoughts to me. It's not saying how precious are the wonderful thoughts that David has toward God. No, it's how precious are your thoughts, Lord, to me. To wonder here, God looks at me and all my sin, and yet he still says, I have precious thoughts toward you, Stan. I know that because he grieves when I sin now. He hates my sin, so he sent his son to the cross. And so all of that says, I don't want your sin. I don't like your sin, but you still are worth. I made you. in my mind, blah, blah, blah. All the whole context there. And he says, my thoughts to you are very precious. That's love. Then it goes on to say, oh, God, how vast is the sum of them. So you could put a number one by how precious are your thoughts. So number one, they're precious thoughts. They're vast thoughts. How precious they are. If I could count every one of your precious thoughts that you have to me, no matter how much stuff said, was said to me about how lousy of a person I was, the people who weren't faithful to their marital vows to me, my parents who let me down, it doesn't really matter, all your precious thoughts, if I could even count them, how many would there be? They would outnumber the sand. And then he goes on to say, oh, by the way, when I wake up, <laughs> I'm still with you. What does that mean? That means that no matter what, you never leave me implying that he is always with me when I'm awake or when I'm asleep. He's never away from me, so he has precious thoughts towards me. He never leaves me, and he really loves me. His love is certain, numerous, condescending, tender, wise, and practical. Now, let me kind of play with your mind a little bit. We could go through the Greek and the Hebrew and all of that on love and the whole concept of that, which would be very rich, and I urge you to do that. But in the American culture, we have so cheaply used the word love I love you. You love me. Let the state worry about the kids now that come. That kind of thing. It's so cheapened. Everything is, I love you, love you, love you. I want you to think maybe much deeper than just, I love you. God cares for you. Love has caring. It has the idea of cherishing. It has the idea of, you're always valuable. And I love you. And I care for you. It is so overused. It is individualized. Yes, God loves the world. You're part of the world. Therefore, he loves you. He loves you at your best. He loves you at your worst. His love is a love that you can't always feel. So it's not going to be emotional. It's not going to be a hug. It's not going to be a kiss. It's not going to be where he's uh, wiping your tears away or brushing your hair. It's going to be a love that's demonstrated in sacrifice for you because you're valuable and you have purpose. Well, let's be simple. See these lights in here? How many of you uh, maybe broke the law today by driving too fast to get here? I don't know if that's a sneeze or they're pointing somebody out, but here we go. <laughs> these lights are shining on all of you who did right today or who didn't do right. They still shine, right? Do You agree with that? That's God's love, <laughs> shines. One other thing. I don't feel those loves now, uh, Those lights. Now, some of these that are shining right in my face, it's, it's hurting my eyes and it's hot up here. I get that. But reality, though, I don't feel those lights. But I know that they're there because I see the results of them in, in experience. That is God. That is God to you. And look at yourself through his unconditional love. Doesn't that make you want to run to him? Doesn't that make you want to just get rid of the junk, the sin, the stuff? The goodness of God brings about repentance. Doesn't that do that? I I really hope that it does. Number six. God is more powerful than any adverse situation that comes my way. God is more powerful than any adverse situation that comes my way. It's a unique little verse in here that I'm drawing this from. It's a... not the strongest uh, verse to use to substantiate this point, but I think it's found in here that still makes it real and here's what the verse says in verse nineteen, "Oh, that you would slay, oh that you would slay the wicked, O oh God, remember he had a lot of enemies, David, Oh, that you would do this, and now he speaks to his enemies, he speaks to God, in the first part, and now he speaks to his enemies, and he says, "You enemy, depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. Now why would he say that? because he knew that God was more powerful than his enemies. So it wasn't like he was real cocky about himself that he was going to wipe out his enemies. I mean, his whole life was one to show you that he had great courage, that he stood strong and lasted long, but his courage wasn't necessarily in himself. It was in a God who he could trust that was more powerful than the adverse situation that comes his way. How precious that is. I wish just for a moment that I, um, I, could, I, I had a match here, because here, here's what I would do with my match. I would take my match out of the pocket. Watch this carefully. And I would light that match. I almost did that, but I thought, you might think I'm going to burn the place down or something. So I lit the match. If I took that match and I held it right up to my eyeball, I could feel the heat, see the flame, and smell the sulfur. And when I'd look at that match, I would think that this entire room was on fire. But if I took that same lit match... And I stretched out my hand and say, ha, that's a little match. <sniffs> and I could blow it out. You see, it's all a matter of perspective. When you look at your life caving in, often what's happening is that all you see is your problem. The problem is you have to get that problem away from you. And the way you do that, now stay with me, you need to get a bigger God. If you have a tiny God, your problem's big. If you have a big God, your problem is small. So how does God appear bigger to you? Very simple. The more faith you have in God, the more reality he becomes to you. He doesn't become bigger, but to you, perceptive-wise, he will then become bigger and your problem is smaller. So if you're saying, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, somehow your eyes are on your problem in that little match that's aflame instead of a big God that's out there. So how do you get more faith? Well, certainly you can ask for it. But another way you can get more faith is just by abiding in his word. So if I could leave you with anything with today's message, what kind of a God is more powerful than any adverse situation that comes your way? You know the answer to that. It's in your notes. A God who loves you unconditionally all the time. A God who is as faithful to you as he was to everyone in the Bible. A God who knows what's best for you a God who's in control of everything you can't control. I want you to know that's the kind of God that is in control of your life, and it's okay. You can trust him. And so I really pray that you would. If you're saying, okay, Lord, I I put my trust first? I would say, why don't you put it in the person of Jesus Christ? He demonstrated his love to you and me that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died on the cross. And he rose again from the dead, and he said to us, I did that to make the complete payment for sin, and I offer to you full, free forgiveness. And I'll forgive you if you will come to me and believe that I am the Lord who died and rose again. And now trust me. Don't bring me your puny works. And I appreciate you being good, so that's good. Social, religion, I'm, that's all cool. But that's not going to save you. I want only your faith. I don't want that and your faith. I just want your faith. And it's got to be in me. Puny little tiny faith, I'll take that. But it has to be in me, in me alone. And the me isn't just believing in God, as it is important to do that. It's you and me believing in Jesus, who is God, who is the one who died on the cross and rose again for the forgiveness of our sin. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'd like for us to just take a moment and just really let these truths at least come to your mind and then I'm going to really really encourage you to set aside some time to meditate on these truths go a little deeper, find some other verses, but own these not as intellectual truths on a piece of paper that's folded in your Bible somewhere, but I want you to know God and see yourself through the eyes of God a sparkling diamond Sunshine above your storm. S-O-N-S-H-I-N-E above your storm. And most of all, I want you to know Jesus is your Savior. That's the door in all of it. Would you simply say, Lord, I know I've done things wrong. I don't understand all of this, and man, did I get a bunch of stuff today. But I do know this, that I have missed the mark of your perfection. I do know that I want to have an an intimate and an eternal relationship with you. And so right now, Lord, I'm coming to you just as I am, not making promises to start this or stop that. I'm just coming the way I am. And I want to thank you for dying on the cross for me, that I was in your mind, I was born. You knew I would sin. I had that nature to do that. But you also know that I'd be born again. And today's the day, Lord, I'm agreeing with you at this. I'm trusting in you. I'd like to pray for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anyone in here today that's ready to let me know that you're trusting Christ as Savior? We're not going to have you come forward. You're not going to stand up. You're not going to say anything out loud. I'll ask you to slip up your hand and put it down. No one's looking around. When I see that hand, I'll just say thank you. God bless you. Put your hand down. That's it. And when I pray for you, it'll be... A simple prayer of thanking the Lord that you did trust Christ, but the Lord knows your life far more than I do, so I will not embarrass you in any way. Should you go public with it? Yeah, but that's not my story to tell. That's yours when you're ready. So would there be anyone in here today that's ready to accept Jesus Christ, who is God, who then went to the cross and rose again as your personal Savior by faith alone? Would you slip up your hand and put it down? You've never done it before. Today's the day you're doing that. Would you do it right now? Is there anyone? All right, Christians, let's just take this time to pray. And as I pray, we're going to begin having communion. The gentlemen are going to come to get ready to serve you. And in the same spirit of our worship of communing with the Lord, we're going to continue and these men prepare to bring you the elements. And when you do, these elements are not here for you to do, to take, to get to heaven. It's a way for you to remember the Lord, who he is, and what he's done. Take care of any sin in your life. Confess that out. A promise to go to any brother or sister that you might have offended or has ought against you. And you will go and make that right. You'll lay this aside until you do. It's a time for you to really commune with him. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church who loves your word and loves one another and and at the same time are humble enough to admit that we've kind of stepped aside. We forget you. We get caught up in the issues of life. And um, we're just returning. We need this week after week and sometimes day after day to get together and worship you. And Lord, I thank you that you've revealed yourself so clearly in the word that we know you better today than we did last week. But we're going to know you better next week than we do this week. So we're on a journey, and I pray that we'll all go on this journey of discovering who you are, but using the word of God as our lesson plan. And Father, I thank you for this time of communion as we prepare our hearts for this. And Father, we love you. In Jesus' name.